Well, good morning. I am saddened to hear, I guess sad is not a good word, I hate to hear that Mike's going to be gone for a year or so. When are you leaving? September. September. And we will plan a mission trip to Afghanistan. I think, I think that would be safe. Um, but I just, I was thinking this will be uh, Mike's third tour. And uh, his first one was, was very... Uh, uh, difficult in terms of the injury that he sustained, and then he went back even after that, uh, and now going for a third time. And uh, we're proud of you and grateful for you and Patty. If you need uh, a place for your desserts to go while he's gone, uh, I'd be more than happy to to help out. You know, do my duty. Uh, well, the other day I was I went to McDonald's. Uh, I try to eat healthy, and uh, I was going to McDonald's, and I I thought this is going to be fast, and I'll be able to get in and out. Uh, it was the one over here on on Uri, and as I, I pulled in uh, to the line and finally got up to the part where you order, I gave my order, simple order. It was like a number one, no onions. And yes, um, you can uh, increase, what is it? Supersize. Supersize it. You can tell I go a lot. And uh, so I noticed that I just stayed right there. The, the cars ahead of me were not moving. We weren't going anywhere. And so about five minutes passed. And the lady, of course, kept coming on and going, Hi, may I take your order? And I said, You did. I'm still right here. And uh, that happened three or four more times. We really got to know each other pretty well. And then um, I got up to the, the, finally got up to the window and was able to pay. And I was just fuming mad. I mean, this was like 10 minutes from the time that I had ordered. And uh, I, I, Exchange. I gave her my card, and then she uh, gave me the receipt. And then she said, have a blessed day. And I thought, no, I don't feel too blessed right now. Got up to the uh, second window, finally. And as I got up there, they didn't have the fries ready. I mean, McDonald's was out of fries. That's really the only reason I was going through the line was to get the fries. And so she said, could you just pull up a little bit over here? We'll, we'll bring them up to you. And I said, Really? I've been waiting all this time, and now I've got to wait longer. You want me to pull up and wait for you? We'll bring it out, I promise. So I pulled up, and uh, she brought the, the, um, the fries out, and uh, all was well, until she said, and have a blessed day. I thought, what is this with McDonald's? I'm used to that with Chick-fil-A, uh, but not necessarily at McDonald's. What, what does she mean? Does she know what it means to bless somebody? Or, I mean, is she really a Christian? Or has it just become a part of our, uh, our way of greeting one another or a way of saying goodbye? I wasn't sure, and I sure didn't want to get into a long theological dialogue over French fries. But have a blessed day. Be blessed. These are words that we hear this morning. And I think the people that Jesus was saying them to were a little confused. 
They were a lot confused. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And you can see here there are a number of words that Jesus is, uh, is using. Uh, peacemakers, hunger and thirst, persecuted, those who mourn, poor in spirit, meek. All of these are words that describe the people who were out there on this mountainside as Jesus was teaching them They were drawn into the words that He was using. And I'm sure that collectively they looked around when Jesus said, Blessed are you. They thought, no, we've never been blessed. We don't feel blessed. We are poor. We are mourning. We are persecuted. I mean, these are not uh, the elite of their society. These are the poor of the poor. And they are gathering around Jesus because they're starting to hear a word of hope. They're starting to hear that this guy's making sense. This guy is challenging the people in our own religion who are telling us that we're no good. Who are telling us that we have to get our lives straightened up in order for our country to be saved. These are the people who are dealing with the frustrations of being ripped off, not only by the Roman government, which is over them, but by the people in their own cities, the people in their own villages, uh, the people who are a part of their religion, who are supposed to be looking out for them. And so they're dealing with all of this stuff, and so they've gathered around. They're hungry, and we'll see later that not today, but in a few Sundays, where Jesus feeds them. He teaches them, and He takes just a minimal amount of food, blesses it, and feeds them to the point where there's some left over. Jesus is caring for them. He's learning their names. He's learning their diseases. He is getting involved in the details of their lives. What a wonderful thing to be sitting there out in in God's beautiful nature listening to these powerful words. And as they listened, they would uh, have this dream that would start to uh, come into their hearts and into their minds that maybe this world can be a better place. If what this guy is talking about, this Jesus, if what he is saying really is serious, then we're going to see amazing things happen in our world. God is going to finally rescue us. God is going to deliver us from all of our problems and and we will be blessed. And so I'm sure there was a lot of conversation, mumbling, going back and forth about what it means to be blessed. And in some churches, you'll see uh, preachers. I, I like watching T.D. Jakes. Are you familiar with T.D.? Bishop T.D. in Dallas? Uh, I, I just wish I could preach like T.D. One day I'm going to... You know, I did bring my hanky. Where is it? Oh, that's not it. That, that's my, uh, my cheap man's hanky. Uh, paper towel. I actually have one here. And I just wish I could do that. One day, one day I'm going to get there, okay? Not there yet. Stuff they don't teach you in seminary. Forgot what I was going to say about all of that. But it sure felt good. 
But Jesus was wanting them to say to each other, be blessed. And so if you went to T.D. Jake's church, he would say, turn to somebody and say, you are blessed. So I'm going to do that, alright? Without my hanky. Turn to somebody and say, you are blessed. Go ahead, do it. Now, do you believe it? Do you really believe that you are blessed? Maybe this morning you don't feel that way. And I would imagine on that particular day that Jesus was telling them this. He could see it in their eyes. He could hear it in their chatter out in the crowd. He could see it in the way that they were carrying themselves and probably a lot of heads bowed down and that feeling of oppression was very much upon them day after day. And now they are rather nomadic out in the countryside following this man who is speaking words of hope. I learned a new word this past week, and maybe you are familiar with it. I I wasn't. Uh, Gaslighting. Did you hear that this week? Uh, As just in the the days of um, Trump's presidency, This word has been used pretty much, not every day, but like all day, every day. Um, And it goes along with the um, book 1984 that has been sold out. How many of you read that in school? 1984, George Orwell. Uh, because people are seeing that it, this, it's like this is coming to life right off of the pages of this book. But gaslighting is, uh, I guess just to simplify it, a way of defining your own reality. Right? Kind of like alternate, alternative facts, right? Where we are living in a post-truth society. Truth is whatever you want to make it to be. If you say it loud enough... And long enough, then it becomes true. And gaslighting is a way that describes how people are brainwashed uh, to where you begin to say things and chip away at the truth. And you do this long enough, slow enough, but over a long enough period of time where the next thing you know, everybody believes it. They believe this person's reality. Now that's scary, isn't it? It's scary for someone to walk into a room and define reality and then for people to believe it. As we hear in these words of Jesus, as we call them the Beatitudes, as Jesus says, all of these blessings, these are yours. We realize Jesus is defining reality, isn't he? I'm not going to say Jesus was gaslighting. That would be horrible. But what Jesus is doing is turning the world upside down. He is saying, this is what you think is reality, that you are going to uh, establish this kingdom, that your nation is going to be greater than all other nations, as Israel. And, And as you live out your lives, it's going to be all about you. It's going to be about your possessions and your blessings and your light. And what God is saying, as we've heard in Micah, I've got a controversy with you because that's not what I intended. You're bringing all of these sacrifices, these fattened calves and and all of these things. And I don't even care about them. I don't want them. 
What I require of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's it. It's just as simple and practical as that. But we see that Jesus shares this with the crowd around Him, and I think this crowd really started to latch on. There may have been a few that got up and walked away and said, mm, that's not my reality. I, I, I don't uh, think that's the way it should be. As Jesus would later talk in the Sermon on the Mount about the, the things that they ought to, uh, to be doing to their enemies. The way that they ought to maybe turn things around on them a little bit. And even love their enemies. So Jesus uh, really says some amazing things here in this uh, this text, especially just in this small part of the Beatitudes. As we hear this today, we hear that Jesus is redefining our reality, isn't He? That for the church, Jesus is speaking these words. It wasn't just for the people gathered in that crowd. And some people do think that the Sermon on the Mount is impossible. That what Jesus says is impossible, therefore it doesn't apply to us. And so some religious groups have come up with a way of saying, this is for the Christians who live in the millennial reign of Christ. And it fits with a theology that says Jesus is going to come back, He's going to rapture up all of the Christians and uh, take them out of the world, and they will be with Jesus in heaven for a thousand years. And it is during those thousand years, uh, or after, some say, that we will live according to the... We'll be able to live out the Sermon on the Mount. But until then, we can't, so we shouldn't really even try. It doesn't make sense. But I don't think Jesus had any of that in mind. I don't think He uh, had a millennial view of eschatology. Do you? What Jesus was saying is, this is something you can do right now. This is religion made practical. And so we hear those words of truth today as a church, not just as this church, but they apply to the universal church, to churches in Shreveport, to churches in Detroit, to churches in New York and Los Angeles, uh, to churches all across the United States to churches in Afghanistan, to churches that are in Iraq. And there aren't very many Christian churches left in those places, or probably the churches, but not the people. But this applies to everyone in every generation. This is how we are to see ourselves. This is how we are to live. And you could take, and we don't have time this morning, to look at each one of these. What does it mean to mourn? And how is that different? We tend to think about mourning death, don't we? And it could be that. But it really applies even more to the kingdom of God. Mourning because it's not being done. Mourning because people are not living out the love of Christ. That creates a real sense of mourning. We are missing what God has for us. Or the idea of peacemakers. doesn't always mean that you just fall down and let people trample on you. That's not what Jesus did at all. It's not what He called them to do. And we'll see that later in the Sermon on the Mount. Or we hear these words uh, about uh, showing mercy. And what does that mean for us? How is it 
that we are to stand up for what is right and for other people and to show mercy as God has shown us mercy. This uh, yesterday uh, was just astounding to see what was happening with this, uh, this uh, immigration ban, uh, which I think is better described as a Muslim ban, where people, families who had green cards and were coming back from visiting relatives overseas were coming back, and even a family that was in the air uh, on a plane uh, during the time that this executive order was signed, uh, being turned away at the airport. And just the sense of dividing families and people who have followed the, the legal rules and everything just as they were to do and being turned away. Now, as you see pictures like this and you think about families who are fleeing the danger of Syria or evil, terrible situations, dictatorships, and uh, knowing that if they go back home, chances are they're going to be killed. And here we are, a Christian nation, turning them away. I want to read to you a couple of verses. There are so many, I don't have time to read them. But I want to read to you these, because if you, if you want to try to find out what it means to live according to the Sermon on the Mount, then you understand what it means to live out the, the Old Testament as well as the New Testament and what God has to say about how we treat other people. Listen to this. These are the refugees in the Bible. It begins in Genesis. Adam and Eve are forced out of the garden. They're refugees. Now, they, they messed up, right? Well, Eve really messed up. <laughs> Noah, Noah builds an ark and takes refuge from the flood. The call of Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Start traveling, Abraham. You're going to be a nomad. You're going to go to some places. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to reside there as an alien. Not like, you know, space alien, right? As an alien, for the famine was severe in the land. Lot takes his family and flees Sodom. Abraham is a stranger and an alien in the land of Canaan. Jacob moves his family to Egypt to escape the famine and reunite with Joseph. Uh, Joseph's generation is gone and the Egyptians oppress the Israelites. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. Pharaoh orders all the Hebrew babies to be killed. But Moses is hidden and is saved by Pharaoh's daughter. The Israelites were driven out of Egypt so fast they had no time to make provisions and had to bake unleavened cakes of bread. Leviticus, there shall be one law for the native and for the alien who resides among you. Here is God caring not only for the people we would think of as God's chosen people, but for the strangers and the aliens. You shall have one statute for both the resident alien and the native. The Lord instructs Moses to give cities of refuge like New Orleans to the Levites so that when the Israelites must flee into Canaan, they may have cities of refuge given to them. 
Did you know that New Orleans is a sanctuary city? And the mayor of New Orleans has said, we are going to remain a sanctuary city. This is what we are to do. This is the right thing to do. Proud of New Orleans. You shall not deprive a resident alien of justice. Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy uh, 24.19 Leave sheaf olives, grapes for the alien. So when you're out there farming, don't take all of your produce. Leave the corners so that the poor and the aliens can come in and have something to eat. Psalm 105 Remembering their sojourn when they were few in number of little account and strangers in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. Psalm 146, the Lord watches over the strangers. Isaiah 16, be a refuge to the outcasts of Moab. Jeremiah 7, if you do not oppress the alien, then I will dwell with you in this place. Jeremiah 22, do no wrong or violence to the alien. Ezekiel 47, the aliens shall be to you as citizens and shall not and shall also be allotted an inheritance. Zechariah 7, do not oppress the alien. Malachi 3, the messenger will bear witness against those who thrust aside the alien. Ouch, that one kind of hurts, doesn't it? Scripture after Scripture, we find the reality. In fact, Matthew 2, Jesus and parents flee Herod's search for the child. Joseph, Mary, Jesus, they were refugees. They found no room at the inn and had to find a way. As we think about what it means to live out the Beatitudes, we really don't have to go very far to see how we can be the church that Jesus intends for us to be. That when it comes to things like this, that we are Christians, we are followers of Christ, and we are to do our duty to Christ first and foremost. And thankfully, we already live in a nation that looks out for refugees up until yesterday. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, a federal judge and ACLU and some others have been able to get this, um, for the most part, stopped at least for a short time. But it's scary. We are living in a scary world, and your voice is needed now more than ever. I've often said I, I am not, um, I'm an independent in terms of how I, I vote, and uh, I am not um, trying to uh, make a, a political party statement or anything like that. What I'm making is a Jesus statement that God has called us to do what uh, we hear Micah saying do justice. If you want to live out the Beatitudes, do justice. It is time for the Christians in this nation to live out their faith. Not just to talk about what they believe. Not just to go to church, but to live out their faith. So when we go out into our neighborhood in this next week, as we go to work, as we go to school, 
then we can stand up for those who have no one to stand up for them. Whether it's a refugee, whether it's someone who is gay, whether it is someone who is poor, whether it's someone who speaks a different language and cannot communicate and is totally helpless. We are to stand up for them. We are to stand up for the elderly. We are to stand up for the unborn. We are to stand up for those who are pushed aside because of disabilities. And that's going to be difficult. Jesus says, blessed are you when things get difficult, when you're persecuted, when you're out there making peace, when you're showing Mercy, when you're standing up and speaking truth to power and all of that, blessed are you. It gave them a whole new way of looking at their lives. At times like these, I turned to Merle Haggard. (laughs) Did you know there was a song, the Sermon on the Mount? Bill, did you know this? I did. I'm sure he does. Okay. Written by Hank Williams and Merle Haggard. I'm not going to sing it for you. A man sat on a mountainside, a carpenter by trade, teaching his disciples while they knelt and prayed. He blessed the poor and simple, and he brought the mourners joy. He came to heal the blind and lame. They came not to destroy. When smitten by his enemies, he turned the other cheek. He brought strength of God and morals to mortals who were weak. He told of false prophets who wore a sheep's disguise, and he warned us not to trust him or to listen to his lies. Hey, the summon on the mountainside will live eternally. He'll lead us to the kingdom and he'll promise you and me. So take the straight and narrow and do good things that count. Make up your mind to live by the sermon on the mount. Merle Haggard made that sermon a song for himself. He was able to take the music and the words, interpret them for his life, and as a recommendation for ours. I think what Jesus wants us to do is to make the sermon our own as well. In what ways will you sing that song? In what ways will you live out this sermon this next week? Let us pray.